Angela Perger is a nature-loving mama of two beach babies and an Ayurveda practitioner. She teaches Ayurveda and yoga because these ancient sciences continue to give her the tools to thrive despite diagnosis of ulcerative colitis and a rare autoimmune liver condition. Her purpose is to share how you can incorporate the wisdom of these teachings into your everyday modern life so that you can be your happiest, healthiest self. I am so thrilled to share with you my conversation with Angela. She is just, she's been a remarkable influence and source of Ayurvedic knowledge uh, for me. I discovered her kind of in my it, well, one could say I'm still quite early in my journey on Ayurveda, and she was one of my very first resources that I came across. Um, her Simple Ayurveda podcast is amazing, and her Simple Ayurveda Collective is just this warm and welcome uh, or welcoming community full of like-minded individuals who want to explore more of what Ayurveda has to offer for health and wellness. So without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Welcome to The Alchemy of Things, a podcast diving deep into topics like skincare, holistic living, and the energy that connects us all. I'm your host, Brandi Searcy, founder and formulator of Rain Organica, where you'll find skincare you can take with you anywhere. Today, Angela Perger joins the show to talk about Ayurveda. Welcome to the show, Angela. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Would you share just a little bit about how you discovered Ayurveda? Yes. Um, well, I first heard about it during a 200-hour teacher training about 10 or 11 years ago. And so that planted the seed for me and I was definitely interested. But like many people, I was completely confused by it as well. <laughs> so over the years, as a yoga teacher, I started playing with um, just getting curious about Ayurveda and incorporating some seasonal themes into my classes. But then in my own wellness journey, when I was in my early twenties, I was diagnosed with some pretty, um, heavy <laughs> conditions, ulcerative colitis and a rare liver autoimmune condition, primary sclerosing cholangitis. Um, so meanwhile, as someone interested in yoga, I was also exploring different holistic diets and healing protocols, um, trying to find ways to like heal naturally. So when I was 21, my doctor said I would need a liver transplant within 10 years and I wouldn't be able to have kids. Um, that's not true. I never had my liver transplant and I'm almost 40 and I have two healthy kids. So, uh, I like to share that just because everything that a doctor tells you is not written in stone. And we do have some autonomy over our choices and that's the gift of Ayurveda. So I basically started, um, working with different naturopaths and doctors over the years. And I landed on an Ayurveda practitioner. However, I had hypothyroidism from my pregnancies and it was just like one autoimmune condition piled on another. And she was going to refer me to someone else. And I realized I felt like this 
intuitive feeling of no one else has the answer. You're just going to have to study for yourself. So that's how I ended up studying Ayurveda through a formal program. I signed up for Ayurveda health counselor program, which is roughly two years, um, really with just the, the want and the need to get to the bottom of my own issues. But then once I started understanding Ayurveda and and living it more fully, it just infused everything I did. Like I had to change the way I was teaching yoga and the way I was practicing yoga. And I would change the way I was cooking and eating and so many things. And basically I was just amazed. Not only did my digestion feel better, but I was in a mom of a infant and a four-year-old at the time. And once I started eating more Ayurvedically and changing my yoga practice and my daily rhythm, I had so much more energy, which was like completely measurable from going from exhausted <laughs> to feeling better and waking up naturally with the sun. Uh, so I was really excited. That's why I ended up starting the Simple Ayurveda podcast and just wanting to share it. Um, and then of course, it's, it's just kept on going deeper and deeper. There's always something more to learn and, and to explore with it. So just pulling that apart a little bit more, you kind of so you discovered Ayurveda and then it was kind of just taking a natural progression into moving deeper into the practice over time. Yes, I would say I like it fell into my lap during that yoga teacher training, but um, I was curious, but confused. And so very slowly started to learn a little bit, a little bit. And then a couple of years ago, um, Meanwhile, while playing with Ayurveda and yoga, but not really looking at them as, I guess, um, like the answer for what to eat or that sort of thing, but more, I guess, um, like the seasonal alignments um, and the energetics. I was always like, love that aspect of it, like the meditations and um, looking at our energy. But then after trying a whole bunch of other diets out there. Finally, the food got me in to study deeper. <laughs> and then once I studied the food more, that just really connected the dots for so many other things. So yeah, it's definitely like, um, like peeling a layer of the onions <laughs> of an onion. Okay. So with that, so I kind of early on, could you already tell that it was helping with your liver condition and with some of your other um, autoimmune. And when you mentioned that you had hypothyroidism in particular, was this autoimmune thyroiditis like um, Hashimoto's or was it connected? Like, was it also an autoimmune condition, I guess is what I should say, or just hypothyroid during your pregnancy? The way it ended up manifesting for me, the ulcerative colitis is an autoimmune condition where the body supposedly attacks the lining of the gut. And then the liver condition I have uh, is where the body attacks the bile duct. So basically um, creates obstruction so that the bile can't flow properly, which is why usually this condition would need a liver transplant. So those are autoimmune and they're kind of related. Not everyone that has ulcerative colitis would get the liver condition, but everyone that has liver condition has colitis and the liver condition was really rare. Meanwhile, <laughs> then when I was pregnant with my son, who's now eight, I was diagnosed with hypothyroidism. Um, and they didn't give me, they just said, you have, my Western doctor said, you have hypothyroidism. You're going to need medication, synthetic uh, hormones for the rest of your life. 
And I've kind of just learned to nod and smile. So I did take the medication when I was pregnant because they kind of scared me into thinking like, if you don't take this medication, you're going to harm your baby. <laughs> so I took the medication when I was pregnant. And then um, after I gave birth, I look, I started to research around and I worked with a naturopath, not an Ayurvedic specialist, just a naturopath on, um, on hypothyroidism. So I did some things that just like aligning with food and I went gluten-free very strictly, which isn't necessary for everybody, but you know, there's many reasons for it. <laughs> um, and ate more seaweeds, things like that. So with the approval of my doctor, I was getting blood tests regularly and I was able to wean off that medication that they told me I would have to take forever because my thyroid levels evened out once I, you know, so, um, I believe that some of us have certain health imbalances that are like more deeply imprinted into our karma that we have to work with. Because at one point I thought I was cured of colitis. Actually, when I started my podcast, I wasn't taking any prescriptions. I was like, I'm done with it. I'm healed. Yay. Let's celebrate. <laughs> I'm going to teach Ayurveda. And then it's been an up and down journey and I'm not healed from it. And it's something I'm still working on, you know, but so Ayurveda helps to guide me along and be able to flow with it where um, then when I got pregnant with my daughter, who's now five, the hypothyroidism came back during pregnancy. And then again, I was able to wean off that medication after pregnancy, even though they said the Western doc said, you know, you would have to take it forever. So I think some of us might have less intense karmic imprints of certain imbalances. So they're a little bit easier to work through and kind of be done with or not, you know, have as much of a problem with. And then some things are more intrinsically a part of us that we have more work to do in relationship to those issues. Okay. So going back, kind of moving deeper into Ayurveda, because you've alluded to this living in tune with the seasons, living in tune with the day, the diet, really kind of this holistic approach um, which is Ayurveda. So could you just talk a little bit more about the Ayurvedic philosophy? Yeah, basically like what it is, yeah. <laughs> what we've been talking about here. Um, well, it, Ayurveda is a philosophy that comes from India and it is based on the five elements as part of it. So earth, water, fire, air or wind. And then ether is the fifth element, which is empty space. So it's kind of the container for other things. And these five elements exist out in nature and they also exist within our bodies. So basically human beings, we're a part of nature. And when we accept that and learn from nature, then we're able to flow with it rather than resisting it. And kind of like, I think about like swimming with a wave versus swimming against the wave. <laughs> like if you've ever been surfing or out in, in waves, um, going against it is a very different experience than riding with it. <laughs> so when we learn uh, about nature and what's happening, we can use that to our advantage to help us feel well. And from the five elements, they get organized into the three doshas, which is what most people have heard of when learning about Ayurveda. So we have vata, pitta, and kapha. Kapha is the earth element with some water. So that's stability, lubrication, nourishment. Um, we all have this in our bones. It's like the structure that holds us together. It's also our juiciness. Um, 
like that we have supple skin and like enough spit in our mouth to chew our food well and everything kind of just flows. And then pitta is fire with some water. Uh, that's the heat of transformation. So it's really related to the digestive process pretty strongly because we're breaking something down and then we're assimilating nutrients into our body. It's also mental clarity because we have that fire to break down information, like listen to a podcast or read a book and understand and make meaning and sense of what we've just learned. So that's has also to do with that digestive fire, which is called Agni. Um, and then we have Vata, which is wind or air and ether, that empty space. So that's really like creativity, that circulation in the body, like things moving around. Um, that is having an open mind and being willing to change your mind or shift. And, um, and so we have all of these within us. Everyone has a different ratio or proportion that shows up in different ways. So that's what's called our property or our constitution. Um, and when we understand these, the qualities of the doshas and we understand like um, how they manifest in people and how they show up in things like food or herbs or activities, then we can use this principle like attracts like and opposites create balance. So for example, just to briefly touch on understanding how to incorporate it, um, I give an example of myself, like having colitis is inflammation. So that's excess fire. And then I was a power yoga teacher. I was teaching in 90 degrees every single day and practicing in 90 degrees every single day. So if there's like a lot of extra fire happening in my system so much that it's creating redness and irritation in the lining of the colon, and then I'm putting myself in a room that's 90 degrees and like doing strenuous exercise, basically <laughs> I'm creating like attracts, like I'm just creating more and more and more of that fire element within me. But if we use opposites, create balance, um, we could consider what would the opposite be? And for example, a yoga practice, well, something like yin yoga or restorative yoga, or even if I wanted to do standing poses or like more of an exercise based yoga, doing it in a non-heated room and holding the poses longer and, you know, just being mindful and making sure to take a very nourishing Shavasana at the end. So choosing something like that, like looking at what's going on in your own self based on the symptoms that are appearing. And this is where sometimes it helps to have someone point them out, but sometimes you can really just recognize it for yourself and then making choices on incorporating the opposite quality into your life. So that's how we start to work with the doshas and the five elements um, based on what's happening and how we feel. And then when we're talking about seasonal rhythms, the doshas show up in so many different ways. So once we kind of have that understanding of what they are, we can start to recognize them. So for example, it is fall. So the weather is kind of that dry, windy quality. It's getting cooler and it would make sense to do things that are the opposite. So wind has a lot of mo movement and mobility and to balance that, uh, things that are more grounding and we can look at it through food. So things like that grow in nature kind of naturally this time of year, like sweet potatoes or squash or turnips, you know, all those things have like a dense grounding quality about them. They literally grow in the dirt. So they are naturally providing us with that balance that creates harmony within, um, as opposed to 
for example, if it's the middle of winter, choosing to eat mango is like the opposite <laughs> um, because it's like a thing that's cooling. It's meant to cool us down in the summer or if we live in a tropical climate, it's meant to cool us down. But if you live in New England uh, and you know you're getting like frozen mango or something or something that's been shipped, it's just not in harmony with what's happening around you. Okay. Speaking of location, does it matter where you live as to how you practice, as to how you practice Ayurveda, as to how you, as to what you're eating and also what you're doing day to day? For instance, at the equator where it's common to have basically the same length of day and night um, year round, would it change there versus, and what does it look like for a place like Alaska where it's dark in the winter? Yes, this is such a good question. I think we can really just back it up to look at what the Ayurvedic texts are because this is where we're getting our information from. So the Ayurvedic texts are notes from doctors that lived in India thousands of years ago where they started to compile information. So sometimes there's, con there's information that it doesn't say exactly the same thing <laughs> because it's someone's interpretation. It's one of the doctors like explaining. So for example, um, as a general idea, it, Ayurveda really reveres a daily rhythm. So having a set way that you do things each day so that it calms the nervous system. We say it calms Vata, it keeps Vata pacified. So part of that is to wake up with the sun but then as you know, like what you mentioned, what about different time zones and things like that? So there's some practitioners that say, oh, you should wake up at 6 a.m. That's the start of kapha time, you know, because if you sleep in past that, you're kind of like um, laying around when there's kapha energy, which is that earth energy. So it just sort of like puts a energy of lethargy for the day. Is it, but if you get up with the sun or before 6 a.m., you're, you're doing opposites of opposites create balance. So you're getting that movement in during the kapha time. So some modern day practitioners would say that it doesn't matter where you live, just be up by six o'clock. <laughs> but then another aspect of it is, um, well, what if the sun rises at 730 in the winter? So another perspective is to wake up an hour, hour and a half before sunrise. Um, it's said to be a sacred time so that you're waking up and greeting the sun. I think that the path of moderation. So we kind of can look at where do you live? What are the qualities of the air and the weather and the atmosphere around you? Um, when it comes to Ayurveda, really the, the gold star would be seasonal living, right? That we would live in alignment with the seasons. And then next is when we have a severe imbalance that we have to work with. So depending on if you don't have any major health imbalances, then pretty much seasonal living is your guide. And therefore you can use Ayurvedic principles um, to help you understand what's going on with the seasons to start to recognize these qualities of like knowing that a sweet potato is grounding. That's a really easy one, but you know, there might be other herbs or things or teas, um, but you can use that. And then if you have an imbalance, you're gonna to have to play. You're gonna be dancing between seasonal living and imbalance. So for example, this is like a pretty common one. 
A lot of people nowadays have Vata imbalance uh, because Vata is the most easy to go out of balance. Um, also, there are more health imbalances because of Vata. And then we live in a very Vata kind of world. Uh, the internet is like open possibility, the exchange of ideas. That is that air quality of um, like in, in one year and out the other and multitasking and just like all the things that we do. So if Vata is imbalanced, it makes sense that the opposite would be to ground as much as possible, whether that's through food, through your yoga, through getting adequate sleep that we all need, but really emphasizing that. But then let's say it was kapha season um, and it's like rainy and muddy outside. So then if you were living seasonally, that, you know, kapha season is spring. So that would be, a, we would lighten up and move and clear out and do cleanses and things like that. But if vata is imbalanced, we kind of have to put a little pause on that and check in. So there's a little dance between what's going on with you right now versus what's happening outside. But going back to your question with the daily rhythm and if you live in a place like Alaska, so if you, we can look at the basis of the seasons. So if you live in a place uh, that's like Alaska in the winter, let's say, um, then yeah, there's gonna be, it's a time to go inward. There's a lot of darkness, but at the same time, is that really ideal for human beings to like sleep 23 hours a day? No. <laughs> so then you're going to have to make some choices based on common sense on what is most nourishing for you. Likewise, if it's summertime in Alaska, it doesn't make sense to stay awake for the whole entire time that there's sunlight, you're going to have to get room darkening shades and go to sleep. So we can, um, just kind of go by a general guideline that human beings need seven to nine hours, depending on you, but most people need about eight hours of sleep. And it makes sense that we're sleeping at night and awake during the day. And we're going to adjust that a little bit based on where we live and the weather outside and our own imbalance. Like if we're feeling stressed or not feeling stressed, I hope that makes sense. <laughs> yes. And I love the fact that you brought up this being awake by 6 a.m. And also I've heard go to bed by 10 p.m. Um, so for me, I have an autoimmune thyroid condition and my Ayurvedic practitioner advises go to bed by 10 p.m. because that's really nourishing for not only the thyroid, but also the liver. Um, and I struggle with that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it is hard. <laughs> um, and I totally relate. Basically, 10 p.m. starts the pizza time of evening. And so when the kapha time is from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. And that is when that earth energy kind of comes in for the evening, inviting us to wind down. And if we stay up past that and do something that's stimulating, we, we start to use that pitta energy that comes in at 10 that when we're asleep, that pizza energy that transforms helps us to transform everything from the day. So it's helping to digest, which is why it's supporting the liver. It's also helping to digest emotions. It's kind of like when you go to sleep and the next day you're over something or you're able to think more clearly, it's just, everything's being processed. So that pizza energy is processing while we're sleeping. And if we stay awake, then it's instead of like doing that subconscious processing, I guess you could say, <laughs> 
we're awake, we're processing whatever we're doing, whether we're watching TV or working or, you know, it's like, we're using that energy that would be helping us restore for the next day. We're just using it up more. So yeah, I relate to the challenge of going to bed and it's something I'm like always continually like reminding myself that sleep is like the best, <laughs> it's the best healer of anything. Right. And yes, I definitely agree with that. Um, so just staying on this topic for just another second. So according to this, we would be sleeping through an entire cycle of both Pitta and Vata, but basically we're not sleeping during any Kapha. Is that, yeah. what does that mean? So basically, uh, hopefully we would be going to sleep like toward the end of Kapha. I mean, ideally, because you know, if, if you're like doing something till 9.59 and then your head hits the <laughs> pillow, you're not out at 10, you know? Right. <laughs> so, I mean, I try to get in bed by 9.30 and that way I have like time to wind down and um, like I try to turn off all tech by nine at the latest. I mean, I really don't want to be on it in the evening, but I'm not perfect. <laughs> um, so at the very, you know, to be off by tech, uh, at nine and then having a wind down period. So you're harnessing that kapha energy to help you wind down and hopefully be asleep by 10 in an ideal world. And then, yeah, the, the pitta is processing while we're sleeping. And then the vata, um, the, if we wake up before six, we're waking up toward that tail end of the vata time. So that's when, according to yoga philosophy, like everything is most clear. We haven't, you know, ideally if you wake up at, let's say like five 30 or six, you're not checking your phone. You're not like having deep conversations with anybody else. Ideally, you're just taking that time for yourself. So that's when, um, the channels for communication to the spiritual world are said to be most open because it's like, you've just processed everything while you're sleeping. You're not eating anything yet. You're not digesting food yet like nothing is in there yet <laughs> so you're open and clear and you're ready to like connect to yourself connect to source before moving on and starting your day so that's um if we get to bed earlier in that kapha ideally we'd be going to bed at the, the end of the kapha time you know somewhere between like 8 and 10 p.m so then if we had our full eight hours and we were waking up like in a perfect world, you know, at five or five 30, we're having that meditation time at the end of Vata time. Okay. And with that also kind of moving um, through the day during the waking hours. So, we, so that initial kapha time would be our winding up period. Yeah. It's like a gradual, it's kind of how the sun rises, you know, like a little bit. And then all of a sudden that lunchtime, it's really bright in the sky. So you could use this kapha time in the morning. Really, this is where um, you can explore your own energy. You know, if you're a really, if you have a lot of kapha in your constitution, so that means you probably, if when you're not in balance, you don't feel like getting up. Kaphas <laughs> like, um, like to sleep in and um, when they're not in balance. So knowing that the opposite creates balance. So it would make sense to get moving in this time. For most people, it makes sense to get moving in some way, whether it's going for a walk in the morning, whether it's like putting on music and dancing, whether you do your yoga practice, like a vinyasa or hatha style yoga practice or something like to get moving. 
uh, you're building up the energy. And so, especially if you're feeling stagnant to move during this morning time period is really beneficial. And then we have, um, the midday, which is the pitta time. So 10 AM to 2 PM when the sun's shining. So this is really when we can hone that energy to get tasks done. Uh, ideally in Ayurveda, we're eating lunch around noon so that we have our internal fire matching the external fire. Um, and then most of us, especially if we're out of balance, have some kind of crash in the afternoon. And that's because we've been building up this fire, this pitta, like, you know, using our energy, doing things. And then especially if we don't have a lot of reserve or we're not nourishing ourselves, we get like that afternoon slump where we many times I've wanted to have like sugar or caffeine, <laughs> kind of a stimulant to like move over that hump. But if we go back to like attracts like and opposites create balance to do something nourishing instead of something stimulating. And so this is where there's so many options. It just really depends on the individual. You could have an herbal tea that's warm and nourishing. Um, you could have a meditation break, a walk outside. It's going to depend whether you're at work, you know, and you're able to take time or not. And if you are not able to take much time, if you can just, you know, like hide in a closet for two minutes and meditate and do a couple deep breaths, it depends, you know, like what your options are. But um, for me, like not having the afternoon snack or caffeinated or stimulating drink, and I try to do yoga nidra every afternoon at this time as nourishment to sort of separate me doing work at home versus going and getting my kids. So I'll do a 10 minute, 15 minute yoga nidra. And it's been amazing. <laughs> I love that for this time of day. Thank you so much for mentioning that about the mid afternoon slump. I'm totally the same way. Three, three thirty rolls around and I'm looking for a snack. Um, so that's great that you shared alternatives for that. So one of the things we haven't talked about yet, so you mentioned that your dosha constitution, both now and also when you were born, can, so with all of these dosha quizzes online, are they really giving you your constitution as it is now, or it, is there any information to be gathered or how is the best way to figure out what constitution you were born with? That's such a good question. Um, so in Ayurveda, we look at two things. We look at what you're born with. So that's your prakriti or your constitution. That's like your blueprint, your DNA, and it does not change. And then we have what's happening right now, which is called your vikriti, and that's your state of imbalance. The word dosha actually means out of whack. <laughs> so when we say the dosha, like what's your dosha, we're actually talking about Technically, it means like what's out of balance, but we that that phrase is used about constitution. So I just like to say that there's the way you were born, and then there's what's happening now. So there's two separate things. Those quizzes are usually trying to help you understand the way you were born, because when we look at things like the shape of your eyes or the shape of your fingernails or the thickness of your hair your bone structure, those are all things you were born with that don't change. Um, you know, like some things might change a little bit based on your, how healthy you are, but in your height, your frame, you know, um, that stuff you were born with. And so those are all clues. What I find really confusing about the dosha quizzes is that we have, all of us have all three of the doshas within us, <laughs> first of all. So you're going to have answers on that quiz for all three, no matter what, 
even if you are like, it's not that human beings have percentages about them, but let's just say you were like 80% Vata and like 10% Kapha and 10% Pitta, there's still going to be something checked off that is going to be Pitta or Kapha like about you, even if you are almost nearly all the way Vata. So understanding that when you take the quiz, um, that you're going to have answers for all three, no matter what. That's the first, I think, thing that leads to a lot of confusion. And then the next thing is that it is difficult to assess yourself. <laughs> like when I was taking the quiz, I'm like, oh, I do have small eyes, right? Or do I, you know, it's like, who knows? Is your hair thin, thick, or medium? Or, you know, it's like really difficult to assess yourself. And to whose standards are we measuring? So I've worked with um, students who, you know, if you're a different ethnicity than the main group of people that you're sitting with, then your features are going to be totally different. And just because you have wider eyes or a rounder face doesn't mean that you're a Kapha type. If you come from a, like an ancestral lineage that has a more rounder body type. <laughs> so there's, there's a lot of factors that go into it. And I, one thing I really want to make um, sure everyone understands is that your constitution is like who you are to your core and it's nothing a piece of paper can tell you. <laughs> so I have one teacher that says you need to take at least 10 constitution tests to even have any kind of clue <laughs> on, <laughs> on what yours is. Um, and then there are some schools of thought in India where the practitioner will look at you and assess what's happening right now and give you a protocol or herbal suggestions or food recommendations based on what's happening right now. So we're looking to bring back in harmony and they won't even tell you what your constitution is or you can, a practitioner can work with someone for a while and might not even be able to determine constitution because of the current level of imbalance is so off harmony. You know, it's like, it's hard to even recognize what's underneath that layer. So there's just so much that goes into it. And that being said, it is fun and wonderful to discover more about yourself. So really paying attention to the general idea behind these elements about uh, earth and fire and air and, no and noticing those aspects. And I feel like noticing the aspects in your personality and in the structure of your body um, is where there's room to discover more about yourself. <laughs> okay. Kind of a follow-up question to that. Yeah. If you're having, if you have an illness in one or the other parts of your body, um, would, so would, would that almost be better to identify like what kind of imbalance is going on there than to worry about what you're what your constitution really is, or, I mean, cause yeah. it sounds like it's so hard to, like, it's really hard to, I, it's really hard to determine what you actually are. So I think um, most important for day-to-day -day life is really checking in with how you feel in this present moment. So okay. it doesn't really matter what you were born with. If you wake up and your eyes are red and dry because you've been on your screen all day, you're frazzled because you took on all this stuff at work that's just too much, then it doesn't really matter whether your constitution is vata, pitta, or kapha. What matters is you are dry, red, frazzled. <laughs> and so now let's, uh, uh, let's like dive into those things 
and start reducing what you take on, start nourishing, maybe put some, a drop of ghee in the eyes. That's a traditional remedy for dry or irritated eyes <laughs> um, and have warm soups and start making sure that you have fresh homemade food and things like that. So when it comes to like, what's going to make you healthiest, if you're suffering, I would look at what's going on right now. I think now, if, if you notice what's happening right now, like, let's say you check in every day for six months and you're like every single day for six months, I've had Vata imbalance, you know, you're living a very Vata lifestyle or perhaps you are a Vata constitution. <laughs> um, <Okay>. so <laughs> it never hurts to just check in with what's going on right now and address that moment to moment. But then the second part is if you have a specific health condition, um, do you pay attention to that or, you know, what do you pay attention to? And so this is where in Ayurveda, uh, it doesn't matter what the condition is. There's basically just a handful of causes of what will create dis-ease in the body. So one of those causes is doshic imbalance. So that's not what you were born with. That's what's going on right now. Like whether you're frazzled, whether you're eating ice cream every day and like have a lot of water element and bloated and like uh, mucusy, that would, you know, like that would be a kapha imbalance. So then the remedy would be to get moving and have heating herbs and things like that to kind of melt away that excess water weight. Um, so there's doshic imbalance. And, but you can start to recognize for yourself, probably already based off this conversation, <laughs> like looking at yourself and seeing what's going on. And then um, there's Agni, digestive fire. And so we haven't even dove into that yet, but basically taking care of the digestive system, because when the digestive system isn't able to assimilate nutrients or when we take in too many toxins, that's what causes um basically disease in the body in various parts. So I just give the example of, let's say you had painful joints, like arthritis or something like that. We can look at what is, what are the qualities associated with that? Like, are they dry and popping? Well, that's going to be more vata airy. So then we know you need more lubrication, juiciness. Are they um, inflamed? kind of like infections in the body, that's sort of like pizza, like redness, red quality. Then we know you need cooling and um, ease because pizzas are kind of like pent up, like all that fire energy. <laughs> or are there like extra growths and like kind of like wobbly joints? You know, then we've got kapha. So we know that um, probably some, the dry quality would be helpful or movement. And, and like a boost of circulation. So it's not that we're necessarily like targeting the specific um, organ or body part. Like in my example of having a liver autoimmune condition, it's not that I'm specifically like doing something that's for the liver per se, but it's like recognizing that there's heat in there. That's what inflammation is. That's when things get so inflamed that they start to close up, then we have to pacify that heat. So I'm going to have cooling teas, cooling herbs. I'm going to have less intense foods, less spices. Um, you know, I'm not going to be having like cayenne pepper that might be fine for someone else, but not if you have like a heat problem, <laughs> I'm going to stop going to power yoga. I'm going to stop teaching power yoga. Um, all of these things that kind of add up. And it's not that one thing 
usually causes the problem. It's just a combination of a bunch of things for most people. Okay. Since you mentioned acne and also food, um, it, it feels like, at least from my perspective in Ayurveda, most of the time that raw foods, and here I'm specifically talking about raw vegetables, not raw fruits as much, are discouraged. And it's always encouraged to eat uh, foods that are cooked and while they're still hot. Um, I know on your show, you've talked a little bit about that that if you're a kapha type, you can definitely handle your raw, your raw veggies better um, than some other types. Could you talk about that maybe a little bit? And I apologize if I have it wrong. If I do, just correct me. Oh yeah, no. Um, so basically uh, the thing about raw food versus cooked food in Ayurveda, we look at digestion and how digestion is functioning. And it doesn't matter if we go and do a lab study that uh, this zucchini raw has this much more prana or this much more nutrients than when it's cooked because that lab study is measuring what's on this vegetable that's sitting on a table versus what's actually being digested and assimilated in our bodies. <laughs> so, um, it's, so the argument that for raw food is that it has more prana because it hasn't been tampered wood. We, we haven't cooked the prana out of it, basically like heated it and released the prana. But the argument of why we cook the food is, um, so like I mentioned before, how the fire element really is um, what digests our food mostly. Now the other elements are involved as well, but fire is the strongest component there in digestion. So when we take a vegetable, we put it in our mouth, we start chewing, we have that kapha, we have kapha dosha or the water element in the saliva, the digestive enzymes mixing with the food, breaking it down, and then we're swallowing it. So we have like that movement, the vata is like pushing it through the digestive system. And then we have pizza, we have that transformational process where the food, uh, the nutrients are like extracted basically and um sent into our bloodstream and like go to the different parts of our body. So uh, when we cook the food lightly, Ayurveda doesn't like to um, like overcook with super high heat, like not, you know, like not more than like, I don't know, like 400 degrees Fahrenheit, one of my teachers says, you know, it's not about like overcooking it, but when we cook it enough, it's almost, I say it's like pre-chewing. <laughs> It's like, if you don't have a strong digestive fire and, you know, when you eat raw food and I'll explain like how you'll know, but, um, when you eat raw food, if you're not able to digest it, then you're not getting any nutrients. The body's just passing it along and you're eliminating it and you're not getting much out of it. And this happens a lot. I've seen this, my, I had this happen to me personally. Like I realized I wasn't getting my nutrients from my salads I was eating every single day. And it happens a lot with clients and students and just so many people that um, if you chew the raw food and you eat it and you experience bloating afterwards, if you experience gas, if you eliminate and there's food particles in your stool, so if you ate a salad and there's lettuce in the toilet, <laughs> um, all of that is showing that you didn't digest your food well. Your Agni wasn't able to break down that food and to get the nutrients of it. And so you could 
be eating salads every day and actually be malnourished because you're not getting any nutrients from your food. So Ayurveda is a whole science of how to get the most nutrients from your food so that your body is able to process it. And one of the ways is by cooking the food. Another way is by using spices because spices, all spices have a little bit of a heating quality. Some have more depending what the spice is, but it just helps break down the food. It helps the body to um, pull the nutrients and assimilate them. Like it's adding that fire element to the food when you eat it. Okay. Oh, so to back up, like when you, so you can eat raw food. It's not to say you can't, but you're the, you're the scientist of your own body. (laughs) You're, you're, you know, you eat something and then you see, you notice how you feel. And if you feel great, then, and you eliminate smooth, then you're probably fine with it. Great. And if you don't eliminate smooth, then you know where you can experiment and cook your next meal and then see if there's a difference in your digestion. All right. Angela, I feel like we could just keep right on talking. (laughs) And I know we're coming up on time here. So I wanted to give you the opportunity, first of all, to mention anything that we haven't talked about yet. You know, I feel like um, really to me, the most, one of the most important things to remember is that small sustainable shifts are empowering and nourishing. And, um, we don't have to change everything all at once. So if you're listening and this, like you're brand new to Ayurveda or these ideas and you get really excited, (laughs) yay. But just know that doing one small thing is going to be super powerful. And then when that feels natural and takes no effort, add in the next small thing. Um, you don't have to do everything all at once. <laughs> okay. I love that. Um, the other thing is for people who are interested in finding out more, and of course there's going to be a link in the show notes to your episode where you talk about the five books to get you started with Ayurveda in addition to those, are there others? And also would you talk about your, um, monthly book club? Yeah. Um, okay. So my favorite cookbooks are by Kate O'Donnell because she just has the simplest, easiest recipes that you could like sub out ingredients, which I'm all about. (laughs) So she's a great place to start for cooking. Um, and then, yeah, you're going to put the link, but so Mark Halpern, he, started the California College of Ayurveda. His book was what really helped me to figure out my constitution. Even though I had seen a couple of different Ayurveda practitioners, none of them actually were able to tell me my constitution. So that's what I mean by um, (laughs) it's not always obvious because my imbalance was so big that it was hard to see like what was underneath that. Um, So that, but when I read the book, I was able to figure it out for myself. So that's why I love that book. And um, I recommend it all the time. And then Acharya Shunya, Ayurveda Lifestyle Wisdom, which I think is in that five books to get you started um, post that I did. She is a lineage teacher from India whose grandfather and, you know, uh, so her work is very spiritual, but grounded and she's amazing. And I love her work. So to learn from someone that grew up with Ayurveda and, but yet has this talent for sharing it with Westerners. She's pretty amazing. Okay. Um, Yeah. So I think those are my favorites to get started. Um, And then what was the second part of the question? (laughs) 
and then your book club. I, oh, so yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I do a free book club. Uh, my website is simpleayurveda.com and then you can click on book club. And basically I've moved off the Facebook cause I'm really trying to limit my own social media use for mental well-being, And I, I don't think that's the place I want to host conversations anymore. So, um, right now I send out email newsletters, uh, where I give prompt like journal prompts related to the book. So I just, um, choose a book and we read it together as a group. And I send out journal prompts and related resources through the email newsletter. And then I do like every other month, a free yin yoga class where I record it if you can't make it live, but based on the book. So pulling out quotes from the book while you're holding the pose. Um, so that's how the book club looks right now. And I usually try to interview the authors if that's possible. So I'll have a podcast episode that goes along with listener questions, um, for the author. Uh, so yeah, that's all for free at simpleayurveda.com and basically through the email newsletter right now. Okay, great. Are there any other ways, uh, for that you would like for people to connect with you? Well, just I'm on Instagram um, okay. at simple underscore Ayurveda. So I do hang out there a little bit. And then um, and the simple Ayurveda podcast. And then um, I came up with a dosha quiz that I feel like is a little bit um, that can be helpful to start to see um, features about yourself through the lens of the doshas. And so you'll get that if you subscribe to my email newsletter, and then you'll get a follow-up of a video lesson that walks you through the doshas more fully. So I have celebrity pictures of Vata, Pitta, and Kapha, and just like a fun video lesson that helps helps you to understand um, what your constitution might be. Okay, that sounds great. And I didn't realize that you also did a yoga class along with your big club. I'm gonna have to check that one out. Yeah, the most recent book club, we're doing a book about rituals right now, it's like simple Ayurvedic rituals, I think is the title. And then, um, so the yin yoga practice was uh, a little bit about infusing ritual and, and just like the purpose of it. Okay. Thank you so much for your time today, Angela. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yes, of course. Next time on the podcast, we're talking all about vitamin D. So, of course, with it still being wintertime, this feels like a great time to have this conversation. Um, and also just with uh, maybe it, this could be something that's just on my radar recently. It might be something that you've noticed as well. It's just an increased talk around vitamin D. And with with increased talk often comes increased levels of misinformation. Um, so kind of going to hash through some of the myths and some of the concepts and ideas that I've at least heard recently that are not true um, in that episode, and then talk about why vitamin D, of course, is so important to your health and how um, this, speaking of misinformation, this um, whole marketing scam of always wear sunscreen when you're outside is not in your health's best interest, especially when it comes to vitamin D synthesis. So stay tuned for that episode next time on the podcast.